transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Hello and welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack and I'm here with Manny. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. FA Cup is back. Favourite competition. A lot of football to talk about. Feeling good. How are you? I'm good. I took a brief break from watching football this weekend to see Killers of the Flower Moon, which is the new Martin Scorsese movie, or maybe not even so new anymore. <laughs> but I was just amazed at how long this movie is. Three and a half hours. There are too many minutes in the film. It goes on too long. I don't care how good it is. And I don't think it was even good enough to back this up. Yeah, it's become the new norm, man. Every every film nowadays, especially the big block, blockbuster ones, are over three hours. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of killing cinema for me. You know, it's nowadays you kind of need a pillow and a, and a duvet just to get through a, a film now. But hey, at least there's football to make up for it. Yeah, there was plenty of drama, plenty of storylines on the weekend, of course. Uh, two very famous managers are leaving two very famous clubs yeah. with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, Xavi and Barcelona. We'll get to each of those a bit later because we're gonna we're gonna discuss the matches that those teams played this weekend. Mm -hmm. But you were in attendance for a match this weekend, an FA Cup tie yep. in London. Uh, how was it? No, it was it was it was a good uh, experience outside of the football. So I got a last minute invite. To, uh, to Stamford Bridge, got hospitality tickets. So the meal beforehand was wicked. Um, the game, not so much. It was quite a passive game. Um, Villa, I think, you know, they sat back. They came to play quite narrow, four centre midfielders in, in, the, in the midfield. Um, and they played Diaby just off Watkins. I think they were looking for, you know, a breakaway uh, counter-attacking goal. But, you know, they were happy to sit back and defend most of the game. Chelsea, again, quite passive in their play. Um, Noni Madurike was probably their standout player. He fashioned quite a few chances, played quite well, beat his man consistently. Um, and Cole Palmer was playing the false nine role. But yeah, the overall game, the quality was quite poor. Palmer just stuck away a couple of chances himself. But outside of that, there wasn't really much to comment on. Yeah, it's kind of shocking. I mean, Chelsea have not been all that free scoring this season, although I feel like it's picked up recently. But Aston Villa, I feel like you're signing up for a goal fest mm. when you when you attend an Aston Villa match. It's shocking. Um, you know, both those Friday matches, and we'll get to uh, Tottenham Man City a bit later, mm. but neither of those matches were really too delightful, um, especially when it came to uh, comparing them to what happened later in the weekend. I mean, first of all, there was some massive... 80, 1980s style fan unrest it was. in the West Brom Wolves uh, Black Country Derby match. Mm -hmm. That was some real throwback uh, to a different era of English football, 80s and 90s wild uh, scenes there. And in Port Vale, mm -hmm. you had a fan rush onto the pitch and chase <laughs> the referee <laughs> off because he didn't like what was going on. I mean, was this a flash from the past? <laughs> No, I mean, I think the FA Cup, it, it brings that out of you, man. It, it's it's that, it's the magic of the cup. It's, it's old-fashioned football, that 90s football. And uh, I don't know, I think we'd all want, at one point, want to rush onto the pitch and just berate a, a referee for the crazy decisions that they make. So, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, he's probably banned now. He's probably never, never going to support his team. But 
I understand his frustrations, man. I wish I could do the same myself. Yeah. Anytime Mike Dean is the referee, I would like to run out there personally. <laughs> uh, I, resist, I resist the urge. A dramatic weekend of, of English football would not be complete without Manchester United yeah. doing their thing this season. And it began even before they played uh, tiny Newport County on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess on Saturday going into Sunday, we sort of learned that uh, Marcus Rashford the number 10, the academy kid, the sort of the life and soul of the club, the uh, at least for the last half decade. Yeah. Um, without partying in Northern Ireland, uh, you know, a couple of days before a match, he misses training, calls in sick the next day. What do you make of this as a Manchester United fan? <sighs> to be honest with you, I, I think it's just becoming, it's becoming too much of a circus at the club. It's every week there's something, even when we're not playing, there's some story that's coming out of the club. Um, and, and this is the reason why I feel that Ten Hag is probably one of the one of the right managers for us. He might not be the right manager, but he's definitely the disciplinarian that we need. Um, I mean, we, we've seen in the past where Fergie's come down on, you know, legendary players who have stepped out of line and they've put, you know, the the honour and, and the badge, you know, in, in disrepute because of their behaviour. I think it's, it's, I think it's appalling. You know, you've had the time away in Dubai. You could have gone out in Dubai. Dubai is a much better night out than in Belfast. So I don't know why, you know, a couple of days before we went to report to training, it, it's poor, doesn't look good. And everyone's always going to look at the fact that you're earning so much money and you're in a privileged position. It doesn't take that much to be a professional. Yeah. What I always say is that there's nothing like Northern Ireland in late January. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cannot imagine what the calculus was there but you know it is interesting to think about the role that the coach plays in this as you say Mm. Sir Alex Ferguson he exiled players like David Beckham or Roy Keane at the end of their careers when he believed that they thought that they were too big for the club or that you know they they were no longer working in the best interests of their employer yeah I think maybe you know that was harsh on Roy Keane but they had something else going on it seems like but in this case, you know, I understand the disciplinarian, the hard, hard-nosed approach. I think Mikel Arteta tried to take that line when he came into Arsenal, and there were a lot of overpaid people that were not getting it done in training on the pitch. It was clear that there was something in the water at the training ground. Yeah. I just wonder whether something about Ten Hag's methods is to blame here, or at least factors in here, or whether you know, the the club is so sickly that he is unable to do anything about it. Because, you know, he got rid of Jaden Sancho, who had previous at yeah. Borussia Dortmund, if you ask Thomas Tuchel. He had some history of that. Marcus Rashford, though, does he have any history of this? I mean, I it's just, I can't help but wonder whether something that the manager is doing is, you know, putting players off in some way. Potentially, and it could be this new age of, of football players and these football stars. But to be honest with you, every decision he's he's been spot on in my opinion. You know, even when earlier uh, last season when Rashford was late for team meeting and he got dropped, at that point Rashford himself came out and said, you know, I was out of order. I backed the manager. You know, there's there's rules in place for a reason. He came on and and, and got the winner for us. So you'd hope for a similar response, you know, in, in this regard. If it is a genuine illness, then, you know, we're all just doing a lot of talking for nothing. But if it is a case of you've gone out 
the night before when you're meant to be in training, on time, performing, and you're hungover or you've gotten ill because you've been out the night before, then that's a lack of professionalism. You know, there's, I, I'm a fan of everyone getting, you know, being able to let their hair down and we don't expect players to be robots. But you have seen a repeated pattern in the recent years at United where a lot of on-field antics is just, it's affecting their play. You're seeing players dancing, messing around in change in change rooms. You're seeing players reporting to training late. You're seeing bad attitude. You're seeing all sorts of things. And it's a direct reflection on how we're playing as a club. You don't hear any of these stories at top performing clubs at Liverpool and, and, and City. So there must be a reason why this behaviour is it's been allowed to continue. Um, but I just hope that the changes have been made and, and that, that starts above Ten Hag. Um, but I'm glad that there's a manager in place that will put his foot down because, you know, we tried it with Mourinho um, and the, the ball didn't back him. You know, he dropped Pogba, he dropped Rashford at times, he dropped quite a few big names, but, you know, he never got the backing from the club. But then at the end of the day, he was one that got a chopping block. I do think that there's a fundamental issue. And again, the parallels with Arsenal about four or five years ago are, are sort of uncanny. Mm. I just think that some of these guys are making way too much money. And they're a little bit on the they're on the far side of their careers. I mean, even Casemiro, who came back today, you know, these guys are not in their primes. Mm-hmm. I just it doesn't seem like people are motivated in the same way. I wouldn't question Casemiro's professionalism in the same way, but I just wonder about the makeup of the squad and whether it's a healthy no. uh, environment. No. I just feel like there's a lot of guys that have been sitting around on two hundred fifty grand or much more mm-hmm. a week for years now. Yeah. Uh, and another example is Anthony. I think at Ajax, he was on, I don't think it was up to 50K he was on at, at Ajax. And then he's come to United, he's on four times that straight away. And his performances have been shocking. You know, so I, I do think it is a lot of, you know, a, a lot of overplaying, overpaying for, for players. Um, and then those players at the same time are not repaying the club for, for, the, for the belief they've given them. Um, but it's just mismanagement throughout. And, and we hope... With Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in, uh, with the new uh, CEO that we've taken from City, you know, one of the things that he's come out in, in recent interviews is, you know, if a player's not performing at the highest level within a year or two years, they need to go, regardless of how much we pay for them. And even the way we negotiate, the moment you're known as overpaying for players, you're going to be getting players for the wrong reason at your club. Um, and, and you've seen that. Well, Anthony was on the team sheet today uh, as Manchester United traveled to South Wales to play Newport County. And what stuck out to me about, you know, running coming into this game was the strength of the United team. I mean, this was probably Eric Ten Hag's first 11, Mm -hmm. maybe minus Marcus Rashford, although who knows where that's going to go. But this was, you know, if they were playing a Champions League knockout tie, this is the team that they would put out. Um, does that speak to how desperately Eric Ten Hag needed a win here and, and how bad it would have been? It's always bad to get, mm-hmm. you know, killed off by a minnow mm-hmm. like Newport County, who are, I believe, are in League Two. But at this juncture, it might have been fatal for Eric Ten Hag if something had gone wrong here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the result was important. Um, the performance was probably more important. Uh, we had a closed uh, behind closed game uh, against Burnley midweek where we lost, but some of the returning players from injury played in that. So I think today was was a big chance for Ten Hag to get his first choice eleven playing together and building up a bit of rhythm um, leading up to the Wolves game next week. Uh, so. 
it, it was a pretty strong side, bar you know Rashford or even maybe a fit Mount. You, you'd think is, is Mount going to get in that team ahead of Emaini? We're not sure. Um, but a lot of the issues were still there. There was a lot more positives for me. Um, you can definitely see the the, the difference that um, Martinez and Sandra Martinez has in the team, not just defensively, but offensively and, and the way we like to play football. Um, Dallo playing inverted was was brilliant. Um, he's a much better player than, than Bissaka in that role. And the overlapping runs from Shaw also gave Garnacho a bit more freedom to, to, to attack the goal. But his decision-making was poor. Anthony's decision-making was poor. Fernandez's decision-making was poor. You know, we had two wingers um, that had, I think, 15 shots on goal between them. And our striker, his first shot on target was in the 95th minute. And it was the only, you know, his one shot he had on goal, he scored. That's just not good enough. The the wingers primarily, are, for me, are there to provide for our main striker. And it's, I think there's a disconnect in our, in our forward line. In some games, it works. A lot of the time, it doesn't. Uh, and I, but I did like the the approach play and the build up play was was a lot better. But again, it's a League Two side, so you know, even with a second string side, we should be constantly beating them. Yeah, I was interested to see uh, Kobe Mainu, uh playing a different role in this midfield. I, I wondered if he would be in a double pivot with. Casemiro, which certainly would have been de- a defensive mindset to go play mm. Newport County, but I thought it was possible. But I think you saw some of Eric Ten Hag's tactical acumen here that you know has been hard to detect. I would say is, yeah. is a diplomatic way to put it, since he came over from Ajax from a very good Ajax team that he that he managed well. But you also saw, I mean, in the first twenty minutes when United really started well, uh, Anthony drift he drifts over to the opposite flank at one point to play a combination with Bruno Fernandez might've been just a hair offside and ruled out by VAR if there had been, but he breaks in behind the defense, finds Bruno to really sweep at home uh, effectively. And it was the first of two very accomplished finishes, almost passing it into the back of the net from the top of the box. Kobe Maynou would do the same a few minutes later, and it must have felt good as a United fan at that point. It, it sort of looked like the kind of stuff you were promised with an Eric Ten Hag uh, managerial reign. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you, you can tell that you know from the way we play and, and some of the team selections that Ten Hag does want a multifunctional uh, team where players can pop up in different positions and comfortable in different positions. You know, So Kobe Mainu was playing probably his more natural position so throughout the academy, he has been more of a, an advanced eight than, you know, the holding six that he's been in, in the first team. Um, you know, with Casemiro back and then, like I said earlier, with Dallo coming and inverted it and, and giving that defensive cover, it then meant that Maynard could play a bit further forward. He was picking up passes in the final third. He got on to the end of the cutback and it was a great finish for him as well. Um, you know, with, with Anthony popping up across the front three at different times, Fernandez as well. You can see, you know, what Ten Hag's trying to implement. And I just think a lack of quality in the players that we have, especially their technical ability and their tactical know-how, is, is just, is, when it doesn't work, it looks shocking. Um, what I've had liked is I've not seen Motomini play for a couple of weeks now. So that's the second game now, you know, with some more legs back in our team, with Ericsson back and um, Casemiro now back as well. You know, the, the players that do struggle technically, tactically, 
aren't playing for him. Um, so that does bode well for us. Yeah, and of course, Anthony got his goal and celebrated like it was the World <laughs> Cup final, <laughs> like, he, like he scored against uh, you know Spain in a in a semifinal uh, in the you know in the World Cup. I, I was amazed. He, first of all, he drops to his knees like it's a you know Vietnam movie or something, <laughs> and then he does this, closes his eyes and he has like doing drinking a teacup or something. I was I was like, this is why this is probably my least favorite player in the league. Yeah. And it really spoiled it really spoiled my lunch <laughs> because, uh, you know, not only was I thoroughly enjoying, sorry, Manny, <laughs> uh, Man United's uh, throwing away a 2-0 lead <laughs> to tiny Newport County. Yeah. But then who who digs them out? But literally my least favorite player in the league, I would say. Yeah, Just he's viscerally testable <laughs> he, he's not a likable a likable character so you know I, I give most fans that um and i think the second half of his performance is just, yeah you're not you're not that guy to be celebrating like that you didn't score a bicycle kick you didn't score score a 30 yard screamer it was literally a rebound that you know on your weaker foot fair play you got on target but it was an open net so i expect any professional football player to have scored that um going down on his knees hey look the guy's been through it man he's been through it it's what 30 games no goals no assists and you know he's got a goal he's got an assist and he, i guess he, he's he's happy you know he's thanking god for you know his, his fortunes hopefully turning around um and no obviously the off off uh, off field case he's had as well a lot of things that have weighed on him this season so you know him going down and, and looking up to the heavens i, I understand it but the second half of that celebration, honestly, you're not that guy. You're not Ronaldinho. So just thank your stars that you got a goal and, and let's move on to the next game. I, I guess, I suppose it was his first goal of the season. I mean, no wonder he <laughs> is um, so overjoyed, exactly. I guess. But, it, you know, I it was on the, it was nearly an amazing story. I mean, if Newport could have pulled something out here, mm -hmm. New, Newport County, mm -hmm. Would have been fantastic. And, you know, the first goal they scored was kind of a cracker. Obviously, a pretty significant deflection off Lissandro Martinez. Yeah. But it, it was a, a nice hit, a cracking hit. And you could tell it's one of those – it is the FA Cup magic, and we'll get to a little more of that in a minute. But, you know, you could tell these guys were having a blast yeah. sharing at one point. That, uh, I think that guy who scored, the, the number eight, he shared a moment with Casemiro after Casemiro fouled him and – you can imagine you're playing against a guy who's won the Champions League what four times. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they were trying to to swap jerseys after, and I would be too because by the way, Adidas hooked you guys up, Manchester United, much better than they did Arsenal this season with the away kits. I don't know how you guys get this cold all white thing with the devil, <laughs> and they give us the neon squigglies. What is going on here? Yeah, you definitely you definitely lost out on that one. Um, but yeah, for 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 Newport, it's and their players, it's a dream, you know. And for you know, for the for the goals that they scored, the first one was an absolute screamer. I mean, nine out of ten times that goes over the bar, goes into the Rosette. Um, and then the the second goal was, I think, it was a deflection own goal from from Varane, but it was still a, a good bit of play from them, you know. And and they came to enjoy themselves, you know. They didn't have you know much hope of of getting past us, but you know they played positively. Um, got a couple of goals, like I said, got got their crowd behind them. And the last, I'd say, few minutes of that game was looking like it could have ended up a, a draw, could have gone back to being a replay, which would be massive for them. Um, but yeah, Anthony yeah. stole the show 
and then uh, Hodgdon got got his well deserved goal as well. Yeah, well, if they didn't pull off the Cinderella story, uh, Maidstone United certainly did. Mm-hmm. Uh, operating in the sixth tier of English football, they're playing a team called Punjab United <laughs> in midweek after this, but. <laughs> In uh, this weekend, they played Ipswich Town, who are flying at the top of the championship. I mean, they look very good for promotion. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it could have gone differently. You know, uh, Ipswich had a couple of golden chances to go ahead yeah. in the first couple minutes. By the end, I think they had, you know, 75 or 80 percent possession. However, you know, 25 shots, however many it was. But that doesn't matter. If you don't take your chances and Maidstone, you know, they did what they needed to do. They survived, they defended, they defend, they depended on their goalkeeper uh, in pretty big moments and they scored some pretty decent goals and they're, they're through to the FA cup fifth round. They'd never even ma- made it to the fourth round in the, in the history of the club. And it's, it's not a, it's not a new club. They have some significant history in terms of time, if not achievement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's just it's great to see, man. It's great to see the magic of, of the FA Cup. It's it, it always has that that fairy tale. Um, there's always a great story in in every in every year. You know, there's there's something to celebrate. Um, and I think it's 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 odd sometimes when the lower league teams have better quality in their finishing. So I think that the Ipswich fashioned so many chances. Uh, they're two young players, Samento, who's from uh, on loan from Brighton. Uh, and young Omari Hutchinson on loan from Chelsea, you know, I thought they were really bright, um, great technical ability, both of them. And I think they hit the post twice or three times in that first half, but then Maidstone, a couple chances and they were efficient. You know, you don't normally get that. You know, there wasn't any deer in the headlight moments for any of their players when they came through on goal. It was, you know, efficiently, you know, dispatched goals. Um, and you have to ride your luck sometimes and they rode their luck. Um, and a brilliant performance from their goalkeeper as well. But we love to see it, man. As long as it's not against your own team, you love to see it. I mean, the the finish from Lamar Reynolds when he broke through for the first one was classy. Yeah. I mean, any any forward in the world would be proud to score that goal. And they were fairly lethal on the second, too, as you say. I mean, they sat in, but in on the second, they were mostly sat in, but on the second one, they pressed fairly high, mm-hmm. forced a turnover, they're on top of Ipswich and their back line and they just sniped it mm-hmm. and they took care of business. And now Ipswich, you know, they're going home with their tail between their legs. Cause they, I mean, they were the hosts here as well. Yeah. They, they, this, they were not playing away. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, they've been flying in the championship. Kieran McKenna has got them playing great football. Um, you know, they're, they're an outfit that, that plays football the right way. And you can see the, that the potential of them actually being a premiership team. Um, and, you know, on another day, they could have easily won 3-4-0. Um, but I, I just think, you know, as as well as they played, as well as, you know, Maidstone dug in, it, it was luck majority of the time that, that got them through that game um, and just holding on and, and just sheer determination. Uh, but that's what you love about football. At the end of the day, it's, it's 11 human beings versus this 11 human being, you know, it's anything can happen on the day. And the scenes at the final whistle, I did a little carousel on, on the football weekend Instagram of this. It was amazing scenes of, you know, away supporters having the best day of their lives, (laughs) players having the best day of their lives. It it was, it was a lot of fun because, you know, at this level, I mean, they're essentially semi-professional. I mean, 
probably some players may be closer to fully professional, but this is not, you know, it's not even a league two outfit no. where, you know, everybody is, is thinks of themselves as I'm just a footballer. I mean, some of these guys probably have second gigs. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is that that national league, it, it's tough, man. Getting promotion into league two. It, it's always been um, a tough place to get promoted. There, there's a lot of ex-professional uh, or, or league professional players. Um, I still think you would count as professional football. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely not the kind of money where, you probably, you know, would still need to get, you know, maybe a second job, you know, on the weekend or, you know, midweek, that kind of thing. But um, it, it's inspirational, man. And you hope that a few of those players, they, they've put themselves in good stead to make that move up to a League Two or League One club and, and show them that, you know, they can, they can handle the pressure in, in, a, in, a, in a bigger stadium with the fans um, and, and, you know, and actually technically be able to compete as well. So I think a, a few of those players held themselves quite highly and, and, and respectfully. Yeah, well, there was no not much chance of a Cinderella story in the next one, mm. which was Liverpool hosting Norwich at Anfield. You never held a single candle for Norwich. You shouldn't have bothered if you did, <laughs> uh, because not only were Liverpool always the favorites, always likely to beat them, of course, two days before or... Yeah, yeah, two, two days, days before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jurgen Klopp made his announcement that he would be leaving Liverpool foot, Football Club at the end of the season. Mm. And I was shocked by this. Even though last summer it felt like he was wavering a little bit in terms of his commitment, in terms of his energy levels. Mm. Uh, he signed a new contract. Uh, it seemed like he had uh, gotten rid of any doubts he might have been feeling after Liverpool's poor season last term. Mm -hmm. But I guess by November, he had turned to the to FSG, uh, the, the American-led sports group that, that owns Liverpool, and told them that he was, he was going to be leaving. But he announced it on Friday, and there's just been an outpouring of emotion, even from non-Liverpool fans, mm -hmm. because of you know, his massive impact on the, on the Premier League over the last 10 years you have to respect him as the only person that's gone toe to toe with Pep Guardiola in any way, essentially, you know, Jose Mourinho might've done it back in Spain, but he wasn't doing it in England when they showed up, when they, when they went toe to toe and, you know, Mikel Arteta doesn't have a great record against Jurgen Klopp, despite uh, some improvement recently. Mm. You got to say that, that his impact has been massive over this last decade. Yeah, begrudgingly, I have to agree. Um, he's brought in uh, a style of, of football that we hadn't seen before in the league. You know, that, that heavy metal, pressing, high-octane football, playing on the front foot, you know, and, and he, they've had some amazing results, some amazing players have come through. Um, and he's, he's a charismatic character, you know. That's going to be missed as well. It's just not just the footballing side. Um I think it was a bit of a shock. I'm not sh too sure if it's as, as wise releasing that statement, you know, in the middle of a title charge. You know, I remember Ferguson did that uh, famously. Um, United ended up losing the league title that year. And it's something that he, he always regrets uh, doing. So it's a bit odd that he's done that. Um, but it does give, I guess you could look at another way, that it gives the, the Liverpool fans and, and their players the motivation to, to give him the great sign-off and, and win one more Premier League for him. 
Yeah, I wonder if it was an issue of he told the board mm-hmm. and they were concerned that it was going to come out some other way. Mm-hmm. And he decided to, this is pure speculation, but he decided to sort of get in front of it and tell the fans himself. Maybe he just made that decision, though. Maybe he, he just thought it was the right thing to do to be transparent, no, knowing that he's fully made a decision and it's not in doubt. But as you say, when Sir Alex Ferguson did this, he ended up coming back. So yeah. we'll see We'll see if he stays true to his guns. Certainly Liverpool were, were true to their guns against Norwich. I mean, I barely could get motivated to watch this because it was such a foregone conclusion. I actually <laughs> fell asleep part of the way to the first half <laughs> to the sweet ambient sound of, uh, you know, the commentators talking about how Liverpool were wiping the floor with them. Um, they'd started early with Curtis Jones, yep. who was left wide open at the back post for about six minutes straight mm. as no one would mark him in the Norwich <laughs> team. And that was just, that was exactly what it was like when they're in the premier league. You know, they just could not defend yep. for shit. Um, but Curtis Jones, he gets his goal not long after uh, you and I questioned the Liverpool midfield and uh, some scousers arrived in our mentions saying, blasting, how could we question Curtis Jones and his performances this season as, li- as if we're talking about Steven fucking Gerrard or something. Uh, but he did get his goal here. Yeah, he, he played he played well. He, look, I, I think he's a good player. I, I don't think he's amazing um i think he's a good link player um i don't think he's he particularly stands out um in any particular aspect um in his game i think he's a good worker he's good technically um but yeah nothing to you know to rave home about definitely not steven gerrard or even a henderson you know henderson's done a lot more in that midfield for liverpool than than curtis jones may ever so uh, but yeah he, he's, a, he's a young player uh, i always root for the for the young players in the game so it's good that you know he got on the score sheet, and it was a very routine win for for Liverpool. Um, had you know had a couple of their youngsters come through and play play in the game as well. I really like their centre back uh, Quanzo. Um, but yeah, too much firepower. The same same results in in the Premier League. You know Liverpool just got too much up front, and they dispatch they dispatch teams with the amount of options and and the striking ability that they have in their team, and that's another goal for both. Nunez and, and Jota. Yeah, Kwanzaa had such a quality little flick into midfield at one point where he just brushes aside the Norwich attacker mm-hmm. uh, outside of the boot, uh, instant flick into one of the midfielders to, to get it going the other way. Yeah. He looks like a very promising player. And, you know, Curtis Jones is a promising player. You know, I think we both are ready to admit that Liverpool are going to compete at the top of the Premier League. Yeah. I my question is whether they have that el- totally elite level midfield that is necessary, especially on in terms of covering all the ground you need to cover these days, mm-hmm. to battle Man City and to a lesser extent battle Arsenal. Yeah. Who, if they get their full midfield back, could it could be a it could change the complexion uh, of the Premier League? I think if you have Thomas Party in there for the big games mm-hmm. alongside Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard. I would back that that uh, midfield over Liverpool's midfield, but that's not what Liverpool fans like to hear. Yeah. They they don't like to hear that, and they don't like to hear that their manager is leaving. I mean, I saw a stat. I heard a stat on the on the broadcast uh, today that he's he's uh, had well over four hundred games with Liverpool, and he has a sixty percent, sixty point seven percent win percentage. I mean, that is incredibly impressive, mm-hmm. which I think 
should bring us to this week's set piece uh-huh. on the match report. The question of the week uh, will be, where does Jurgen Klopp and his 60% win percentage rank among Premier League managers all time? For me, he's he scrapes the top five. At fifth, I would go bias, obviously, that Sir Alex, um, number one. Um, I'll probably then go with a Pep at two. Um, and then Mourinho, Wenger, then Klopp. And even with Mourinho and Wenger, that, that could... I think that's interchangeable. Obviously, Mourinho was a serial winner and he's done it in two different spells at Chelsea. Um, and he's, you know, his Chelsea side was the, you know, conceded the least goals ever uh, to win a title. Um, and, you know, that that brand of football that he brought as well, you know, with that 4-3-3 with Robin, Duff, Drogba, SCN, you know, it, it, was, it was an amazing team. Um, but then you look at all the things that Wenger did, you know, for Premier League football, not just the style of football, but nutrition, analysis, you know, his recruitment, you know, the, the amount of players he's developed from all over the world. And I, I just think he's he's a godfather of football. Um, he, he didn't obviously do that well in Europe, but, you know, if you're looking at strictly Premier League, I, I thought I thought there's not much better than him, you know. And, and then that leads to, to Klopp. And even with Klopp, as great as his win percentage is and as well as he's done with the Liverpool side, he's got one Premier League. You know, there's there's managers like Ranieri who deserve a shout. There's managers like, you know, Ancelotti. There's managers like Mancini, you know. Even, you know, further back than that, you've got um, Kevin Keegan with that Blackburn side winning winning that title. You know, there's there's a lot of Premier League managers to to, to consider. But I just think his charisma, his character, the, the kind of football they play, Mo Salah, the records that he's had, and I don't know, a bit of bias as well. Like he's very well liked in the media, and I think a lot of his achievements have been over, overplayed and over overstated. Because um, for me, one Premier League title in ten years is is not a lot to to write home about. Unfortunately, I can't disagree with your list really, and I don't know who else is really in the conversation. You know, for me, the only one you haven't mentioned is Rafa Benitez, and his Premier League record obviously was not that incredible mm-hmm. um but he did win the champions league which is something arson Wenger couldn't say and maybe that's the only way that I, I don't think that klopp has much of a chance of getting ahead of Mourinho. i think he may have a chance to get a, ahead of arson Wenger based on european success uh and the fact that while he may have only won once a couple of those years that they came second to city they had 97 points mm. Um, or 94 or whatever the other the other one was that is an astounding points total uh, that I don't think Arsene Wenger ever hit and so the you know the nobody none of these managers had to compete with Pep Guardiola it would have been fascinating to see prime Sir Alex Ferguson against Guardiola in the Premier League who would have come out on top I tend to agree with you that Sir Alex is the greatest of all time anywhere um but yeah, I think Klopp settles in at number five. Yeah. I, I think Arsene Wenger gets ahead of him on longevity, winning the Premier League three times, including as as an invincible, mm-hmm. winning the FA Cup of quite a few times as well. Most. 
and just yeah, yeah the the transformation of the English game that he sort of ushered in mm-hmm. uh, with the modern training methods diet. If he did really transform the country more so than Klopp did, even though I think Klopp's heavy metal, high pressing style has been influential, but he's also has not been the only proponent of that. Yeah. You know, Pep Guardiola had his own version of that, where where the intent among pretty much all styles in the modern game, at least at the top level, is to try and win the ball back high up the pitch at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um come what may in terms of people getting at you at the back. I think it's been good for the game. Yeah. I think it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I think all those things together, maybe he's at four and a half. Maybe he and Arsene Wenger are both at four and a half on the list. I, it's they, they, There's arguments for both of them, but I think the top three is beyond question. Yeah. As much as my hatred for Jose Mourinho <laughs> goes so deep into my core, uh, what he and Didier Drogba and Frank Lampard did to us for many years, or even Michael Essien yeah. with that goal that they play on repeat on every Instagram page, including the Premier Leagues, that I just have to watch over and over as this this absolute rip from Michael Essien goes flying past like Philippe Senderos and whoever else was back there for the Arsenal. That's one thing you could say about Arsene Wenger. He couldn't really pick a center back towards the end. <laughs> no. um, but yeah. I think we're basically in agreement, but top five ain't bad. That that certainly ain't bad, and and uh, he'll be missed as a character. Even sure. though I agree with you that he and he and Pep Guardiola basically can do whatever they want, yeah. and the media is is on board. Whereas Mikel Arteta and whoever happens to be managing Manchester United, not a lot that they can do right. Yeah. You know, even when Arsenal were playing probably the best stuff in Europe for the first half of last season everybody's still taking their shots yeah. you know it, there's they arteta will never be warmly embraced like klopp is i don't think yeah and you even seen that at tottenham tottenham's manager gets more praise than than arteta you know and and he's revolutionized you know no one thought arsenal would become a title title challenging side so quickly in his tenure um and playing the kind of football that they're playing and you know it's i think he he deserves more praise than he gets um, I do agree. But yeah, the, our top five, similar. Love that. Um, and yeah, I just think there are, there are a few notable mentions that they didn't have the longevity, uh, but, you know, they had, even if it was only one season where, you know, they, they defied the odds to to win a league, they defied the odds to, you know, put put together a title winning, a title winning team. So, um, but yeah, clock, clock number five. Well, he's not the only manager who will be leaving a massive club mm. uh chavi is now saying the same at barcelona after he caught another fresh l this weekend wow. from Villarreal at home no less mm. barcelona concede five goals to Villarreal, who are not near the top of the league i think they're in 14th mm. or at least they were coming into the into the weekend and uh you know barcelona had the chance to win this game many times they were up three two mm. they should have taken care of business even if they went down two nil which was the initial disaster when i whatsapp to you that i think chavi is cooked yeah. <laughs> then they turned it around i was like all right eggs on my face again and then of course they got themselves turned around once more yeah. and now they're 10 points behind real madrid and la liga basically out of the title race it's safe to say i guess it's either Girona or real madrid unless there's a dramatic change at barcelona mm. They're out of the Copa del Rey. Mm. My prediction that they're going to compete for the Champions League does not look good. <laughs> uh, I just don't see where the good stories are coming from for Xavi. And I, I don't 
I don't really see, even though he's probably the best midfielder along Iniesta, uh, alongside Iniesta that they've ever had as a player, as a manager, you know, he's in serious trouble. I don't think that he's going to be able to make the decision to stay till the end of the su- season if it continues like this. Yeah, and to be fair to him, I, I think it's, I think it's a poor decision. You know, they they massively overachieved last season um, with with his side, um, and and I think that. Everything that surrounds Barcelona is not great. They're, they're massive financial difficulty. Um, their president, there's there's always something coming out um, regarding the presidentship, or if that's even the right word for it. Um, and you know, they've, even their star players, there's there's issues around their contracts, issues around um, owed you know wages. It, it's it's a difficult environment for anyone. It seems to to succeed, and and we've seen that at United that if you know from the top, you know from above you, if things aren't aren't in order, it does trickle down to, you know, to, to the rest of the staff and, and to the playing squad. Um, I, I think there has been some 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 poor decisions from him. Um, Romeu being your, your holding midfielder, who just about cut it in the Premier League at Southampton. I, I don't understand that. Maybe just because he grew up in, in Catalan, maybe that's, he's got that lie um, for Barcelona. Um, bringing in Gundogan, I thought was was a masterstroke uh, signing for them, but that hasn't transpired to them becoming a more um, you know winning and 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 professional outfit. Uh, but what they do have is a lot of young players coming through, and I think Xavi is is a perfect person to to guide this new generation of Barcelona players. You know, um, Lamal, Pedri, Xavi, Balde, like they've got a lot of a lot of ability there. Um, and they probably need to move on a few more of the old of the older guard. You know, Lewandowski can't continue, although he's still doing the business for them. Um, João Felix, he's had his his disciplinary issues at, at Atletico Madrid. You don't know if that's continued at Barca, but he does produce for them as well. I just think for them, it's it's terrible defending, terrible organization at the back. Some of the goals they leaked against Villarreal was was comical, um, but. There's not a lot of great managers out there, so I'm, I'll be interested to see what they do next. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm not sure that this is the right move, as you say. Um, it wasn't that long ago that Barcelona were winning La Liga mm-hmm. under Xavi. It was in May, yeah. and they conceded just 20 goals the entire season. It's already looking much worse. They've already conceded 29. Yeah. They haven't even scored that many, especially compared to Girona. I don't know. I, I just wonder if he's lost the dressing room. And it's it's almost impossible to believe when you have a guy who I think he came out of La Masia as well mm. um, as, a, as a youth player. He's a, he's Catalan. He certainly knows his tactics. He certainly knows his football. You would think he's the perfect guy to bring all of these, you know, as you say, the, the Pedris, the Gavis, all these young players through he he knows the way that it's done especially the barcelona way you would think but there's just so much going against him and and i i don't know that whoever they bring in is going to have any better of a time i mean they don't, they don't have the money they're first of all they're trying to renovate their stadium yeah. right now yeah. while they have no, no money cash. to speak of it seems like they're renting out they're getting sponsorship deals for individual chairs <laughs> at, in the stands by this point this is the spotify 7f or whatever um, it it's a disaster. Who who's going to come in here and 
be able to fix a club of this size with no budget and with all of the maelstrom of media around you. I mean, it's like managing Manchester United or Arsenal in terms of the the global attention, Mm. in terms of the vitriolic reaction to every result. Mm. But you don't have the money to to move in the market like a big club. No, he doesn't. Um, And and it's almost kind of like Real Madrid-esque sacking. you know, Real Madrid notoriously, like, you know, they, they let go of their managers even once they have one. And it's very similar. They've done now at Barca. It just makes me think, do they genuinely think that he's not doing a good job? Is It's his fault. Are they putting the blame on him? Or is he the fall guy for a lot of the issues that they have as a club, um, uh, as a business, as a business? So, I don't know. It's it's not great for, for football as well because... We need this new generation of managers, and they need time to to develop and and to get that experience. and And I think he deserved at least another couple of years from what he did for them last year. Yeah, and I don't think it's healthy for the European game for Barcelona not to be competitive. Mm. Um, the The Premier League is already such a power center. There, you really, I mean, every season going into it, I think the. Bayern Munich and Real Madrid are the only non-Premier League teams that are going to compete at the at the very business end of the Champions League. You know, Inter, I think, are a very good side, but they didn't really look like winning the final last year. And it might be different this year with Lautaro Martinez playing out of his out of his skin. But and and their defensive record is phenomenal at Inter. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, you know, AC Milan is not really competing. Juve look a good side, but they win every game by narrow margins. Yeah. And, like, I think they could be found out. Um, and then you just have Real Madrid and Bayern, and there's nobody else. I don't consider PSG competitive. And you need Barcelona as another pillar of the European power structure. And, and I just don't think that they're, they're there at the moment. As you say, even Ilkay Gundogan, talk about a serial winner. He goes in there and he's got, I saw a picture of him. He's got his face in his hands. He's like crumpled over on the pitch. I mean, this this club was enough to to undo Gundogan. Yeah, it, it's not, doesn't look good. Um, and it, it's difficult to see how they turn this around. Uh, and they're not, you know, the way that the power is held between the, the two big Spanish clubs, Real and Barcelona, you, you don't see a new, a new, you know, a new owner coming in to shake things up and inject a bit of cash. Um, it, it's clear that finance is a big problem here uh, and they're almost looking for miracle workers to paper over the cracks until, I don't know, they, they, they get a miraculous money tree from a sponsorship deal somewhere. They've sold their TV rights to like four or five different broadcasters now just to raise funds. Um, they maybe have to come from selling one of their prize assets, one of their younger, their younger stars is coming through. Um, but the, the future looks looks a bit bleak for them. You look back on the era where they were, you know, buying Coutinho for 130 million. Maybe that's dollars, but uh, you know, it's a over 100 million in any currency. Um, some of the profligate spending, they were behaving as if the rules did not apply to them, as if they were Man City, I guess. Although that's all allegations. Let the record show. None of those charges have been proven, even if there's a 115 of them. Um, but they were behaving like that, as if, you know, the money wasn't real and that they were Barcelona and that this would go on forever and that they always win and they have Lionel Messi. And then they don't have Lionel Messi, they don't have money, and they don't look like winning, even though, again, they did win La Liga not, not that long ago. This is how 
reactionary the, the football world can be. But that's who you get as the manager of Barcelona. That's who you get as a fan or a player of, at Barcelona. Mm. That's the scrutiny. If, if it doesn't work for – you get about a month or a month and a half, and if it's not working for that long, you're in serious trouble, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, that's that's it. You get a nail on the head. And, yeah, I guess we've, with, with both Liverpool and uh, and Barcelona, it'd be interesting to see the, the direction that both clubs take um, and what kind of management they want to go ahead with. Um, but you know it's it's dire out there. Um, but yeah, let's. I think it gives more opportunity for other clubs to step up in Europe and, and in the league, uh, in the Premier League for us as well. Yeah, you got to think Chabi Alonso's phone is going to be ringing at least this summer, for sure. But probably sooner than that, his agent's going to be a busy man. <laughs> Even if I think he'll probably hold out for the Real Madrid job, like I could see him doing another year at Bayer Leverkusen mm. and then going to, to Real. But the Liverpool job must be tempting for him yeah. as, as a former stalwart. But, you know, somebody who knows Xavi and also Barcelona and also will never be fired from any job, Pep Guardiola mm. had uh, a match of his own this weekend, Friday, actually, yeah. uh, where Man City traveled down to London to face Tottenham, uh, a place that they do not like to yeah. go. In fact, they don't like playing Tottenham at all. This is kind of their bogey team, the, the kryptonite. Nobody else can consistently get results off of Man City. But coming into this one, uh, Tottenham had won five of their last eight meetings. Mm -hmm. And their record was particularly good at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Didn't quite work out for them, but I thought that they sort of did battle uh, for a good good spell of this game. You know, there were moments where City could have sewn it up earlier. You know, Kevin De Bruyne's miss when he was presented with a chance uh, you know, 16 yards out. I was amazed when he put that wide yeah. uh, deep into the second half. But in general, I don't know. I think that Tottenham can can compete on their day. They can compete with the real big boys. I just think in essential areas of the pitch, they lack some of the quality that you see in a Liverpool, Man City, maybe to a lesser extent, Arsenal. Yeah, that's right. Um, with especially with Son, he, he's just a massive, there's a massive drop in quality in their forward line. Um, and, and I think that the, the game against City, um, City were, were largely on top. Um, De Bruyne missing that chance, you expect him at least to hit the target there. Uh, but, you know, they, they could have got a couple goals earlier than that. And, you know, last minute header from Ake, you know, won it at the death for them. Um, but I think it was, it was the right result, it was a deserved result. And I think it was more of, Tottenham having to dig their heels and hope for a result rather than, than you know, make the result for themselves. Um, but it was it was quite one sided for me. It wasn't there wasn't too much in it to really comment on. Um, other than you know, I did like seeing the Oscar Bob starting the game. Um, he he looked threatening, um, and um, Kovacic is starting to grow into his own as well. Um, you're seeing a bit more. Um, forward runs that that he had and, and carrying the ball and being a bit more adventurous on the ball, um, like he was at at, uh, at Chelsea. Um, so you're seeing him playing a bit more confidence as well, which, which is good to see. Yeah, I think Kovacic will be at his best playing a little farther forward. I, I, it almost feels like he was sitting in close too close to Rodri, even though they'll leave Rodri on his own. I don't know. I didn't think he was playing far enough up. And you're right that when he can carry the ball through midfield, that's going to be where he's at his best. Yeah question is whether Pep Guardiola really likes that you know I, I think he's always a pass first yeah you know ball moves faster than the man type rather than 
you know, someone like Declan Rice used to do it at, at West Ham, just carry the ball 60 <laughs> yards. Um, I don't think that's ever going to be the city style. Yeah. And I still wonder whether, you know, Kovacic will, will be starting the big games for them. But they just have so many quality players, as you say, Oscar Bob coming in, one of the brightest young talents in in Europe. And even the old guard can still do it. I mean, at one point, Kyle Walker... Yeah left Destiny Udoji on skates mm. out on the wing. Udoji, who, you know, almost universally was listed by everyone as their their left back of the first half of the season and everybody's best 11. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that Tottenham can be got at. And I, I think they may be found out a bit more in the second half of the season, even though I think when Sun comes back, they can score the goals to battle, to battle everybody. But you just wonder about them in, in these big matches. Yeah, that's right. Uh, with Son, you always have, have a chance um, of, of getting that winner or or getting, you know, a good result against anyone, you know. Um, and, and the kind of football that they do play, playing running, running behind, playing on a front foot and a high line, it, it's suited perfectly for players like him. And Timo Werner as well, to an extent. He just has, you know, a, a, he's a less, you know, He's a less efficient finisher than um, than Son, um, and, and I think the second half of the season is going to be tough for them. And I think they were playing with less pressure as well at the beginning of the season. Everyone was almost surprised that they were doing so well, um, but then you know the the pressure's cranked up a little bit. You know, there's expectations when they play, um, and Tottenham are doing what they always do. They started to crumble a little bit. Uh, and they've had other players come back. Kulusevski's back in the team. Uh, Bentacle's come back as well. Um, and their two starting centre-backs have come back. So, you, you know, you, you, it's not it's not terrible. And Madison's getting some legs as well. So they are getting back to their full-strength side, but the, the performances look a little bit more disjointed than at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm curious what you thought of the winning goal here because on the American feed, ESPN... Mm. Uh, they show the replay and the commentators like that's never a foul for me when Ruben Diaz challenges uh, Vicario, the Spurs keeper. <laughs> I was looking at that thinking, didn't he just jump into the keeper like and play the man rather than the ball? I, I thought that that was a foul, but on the TV coverage and uh, apparently the referee and they had the bar for this as well. <laughs> they looked at it and there, there seemed to be no question at all about whether it was it was legal that it was just dis any claim of penalty was just dismissed yeah it was an odd one because most times nine out of ten 99 percent of the time that's given as a foul for the goalkeeper you know keepers are massively protected in, in football so it was a bit odd that that was given um you know that that goal was allowed to stand and but i actually think those decisions should be more like that you know you should be able to jump up and challenge in the air with the goalkeeper you know, as long as obviously there's no elbows, there's no arms, you know, infringing them. But, you know, a goalkeeper should have to contest for any ball in the air, the same as any other outfield player. Um, so I'm hoping it means that more of these decisions are going to go going in the, in the way they did against, you know, uh, against Tottenham. Um, but it, it's probably going to be a one-off because, like I said, you, you always get protection with goalkeepers. Um, so it, it was surprising, especially such a, a high state game, you know, knocking a side out that it wasn't given as a foul because nine out of 10 times it usually is. I think the Vicario needs to work harder <laughs> earlier to get himself out of the trap that they, they set for mm -hmm. him to, to get him stuck on his goal line. But I still think, you know, I agree with you that keepers get way too much protection, 
But I think if the the attacker jumps into the keeper like that, I just, you know, you could say he's going for the ball, but I think he's jumping into his chest and wherever the ball goes is gravy after that because they're going to be in total disarray, which of course they were. Mm. Um, I just think that's probably a foul for me. I think if, if that's on the halfway line and, you know, you're trying to play it up to your striker who's going to try and hold up the ball and they're, they're, they're not, they're not favorite to beat the center back and they jump into him into his chest to knock him off balance and he can't get to it. Yes. I think that's, they call that a foul every time. Yeah. And that's sort of how I try and evaluate these incidents. But there was no one on the, the television coverage had even a shadow of a doubt <laughs> that it was legitimate. And I don't know. I just think if, if Jurgen Klopp is the media darling, I think Pep Guardiola Maybe he's not as beloved in terms of people saying how much they love him as a character, but in terms of getting decisions and having his goals and other accomplishments be unimpeachable, mm. I don't think anyone can compare to Pep Guardiola. I mean, there, there, no one ever will, will come in with criticism. No, no, I, I agree with that one. Um, I, I think it's almost like, you know, he, he, the football that they play gives them the blight that, he would never try anything dirty. His players would never try and, you know, purposely, you know, win over a refereeing decision, a decision, or you know, go a little bit underhanded because they just play such beautiful football. Um, so yeah, the commentators are probably just giving them benefit of doubt in that regard. That surely Diaz didn't try to just disrupt the goalkeeper to try and get a cheeky, scrappy one 0 goal. It wasn't a foul, you know. It could be one of those ones. Um, but you're right. Anywhere else in the pitch. It is probably given as a foul against uh, against the team, so that principle should apply, you know, in in a penalty box, um, and that's something that keepers coming into the league is usually the the hardest battle or the or the first battle they have to face is how physical it can be for them in the box, and if you don't get to grips with that quickly, more of those goals you will concede. Yeah, well, we'll be back. Uh, we'll have another week to digest this, and actually two rounds. Mm-hmm of Premier League fixtures where Pep Guardiola can get many more decisions in his favor. Uh, (laughs) Tuesday and Wednesday, the the Premier League is back, and then there'll be another round of fixtures next weekend. And uh, that's that's when we'll be back to chat again on the match report and uh, talk about how City were awarded a penalty that they dispatched (laughs) with minimum plus. Exactly. (laughs) All right, bro. I'll see you next week then, Jeff. Yeah, have a great week. Until then, Manny, and uh, I'll catch you then. All right, man. Take care. Thank you.